Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat number 216 for the 30th of September 2015. I'm your host, John Shire. Chester is on his way to the Virus Bolton conference this week. Uh, that's why I'm in the chair. Joining me, as always, is Paul Ducklin. Good afternoon, Paul. Hello, John. Chester gets to go to Prague, uh, and you and I get to do the podcast. And we get to talk about it. That's right. We'll be mentioning a little bit more about the Virus Bolton conference near the end of the podcast. But let's start off with a story that uh, has made quite a bit of a stir in both the mainstream press and social media. This got anything to do with sharks. It sure does. So apparently... (laughs) I love this story. Selfies are more dangerous than sharks. Uh, It certainly got the, 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 you know... The news media up in a quite a furor. You know, the funny thing is, John, as far as I can make out, the story actually started the other way round. It's a sort of sharkophile guy who's saying, you know what, everyone's so afraid to go back in the water, they're so worried about getting bitten by a shark, but actually, you're more likely to fall off a cliff while you're taking a selfie. So while there may be some risk in taking what you know some people call extreme selfies. Uh, you're probably more likely to get in trouble with selfies when you are taking them after committing a crime. Now, there's a story this week of a gentleman who had just been released from prison due to uh, robbing a bank and uh, shortly after being released from prison took another selfie of himself uh, posing with a quite large wad of cash after allegedly robbing a bank. And was very quickly arrested because unfortunately, uh, he has some rather obvious facial tattoos. I mean, there's no doubt about his identity. And it seems that the cops saw that and thought, ah, well, he might be our guy. And that's just another reason why you should really think before you know, all this self-flattery. There's a lot more to taking a selfie than, you know, showing off to your friends. You know, you really have to ask yourself, you know, what kind of impact can this potentially have on your you know, yourself, your family, your friends, or even, you know, your personal freedoms. Absolutely. And of course, that's a reminder that it's not just taking a selfie and uploading it. That's merely pictorial evidence. It's things like what you tweet, the geolocation data that you choose to share with other people so they know where you are. It's surveys you might fill in online. It's unsolicited emails that you reply to and so forth. All of those things give away information that later someone can come along and look and go, ah, now that's something I didn't know and I am intrigued to find out. Uh, I think in in the words of the National Cybersecurity Alliance, uh, stay safe online campaign, stop, think, and then connect. Yes. Uh, If in doubt, don't give it out. Now, you might find yourself with pictures that you don't intend to have on your phone and... uh, for those iDevice owners out there, this week uh, was one of those lock screen bugs that we've talked about in the past. Uh, oh, it's been quite a while, John. It's been it's been almost a week. <laughs> quite some time. <laughs> yes, it was literally while I was editing last week's podcast when you and I spoke about that Android lock screen problem, uh, that this news about a similar, although admittedly not quite so severe, problem on iPhones. Proof that it is possible to have too much stuff that has nothing to do with locking on a lock screen. And that's just it. So with Android, it was, it was a bug. It was, it was demonstrated to be a bug you know, when you, when you affected the, the chain of events that led to the lock screen software crashing effectively. 
that was what gave you access to the phone. In this case, I think it was just a fact of all these different things being crammed into the phone, chaining uh, one onto the other, and eventually leading to access to uh, things like contacts and iMessage and indeed your photographs. Uh, as far as I know, you have to put in the wrong passcode a few times and then just before you do it, say, for the fourth or fifth time, then you ask Siri, tell me the time, and then you get to the clock app and from there you can get to iMessage and from there you can do things like read contacts, look at photos, and even send messages. The moral of the story here is turn off Siri on the lock screen. It's a convenience that carries too much risk. And we have some advice in the article on nakedsecurity.sophos.com telling you exactly how to either disable Siri on the lock screen or turn Siri off altogether. We earnestly recommend it. Moving on, uh, let's talk a little bit about some recent research to come out of Sophos Labs. That is of word macro malware making a bit of a resurgence. And uh, we, we've said this a few times on this podcast in the past year. What's old is, is new again. Uh, but really, this is, again, another example of the crooks out there trying something old for getting around some of our newer defenses. The way this basically works is that, you know, if you if you recall back in the days of EXEs being mailed around, software, you know, uh, being emailed, usually containing some sort of malware, virus, worm, trojan, whatever the case may be, those days are largely gone because most companies simply block emails that have things like .exe uh, as an attachment. And if your company does not do that yet, now's probably a good time to start. Yes, and just as an aside, John, don't rely simply on the fact that the file ends .exe because the crooks could rename the file to something else that your computer would be willing to open. And then Windows or whatever operating system might go, oh, it's a program, I'll run it anyway. So make sure that you're using a tool that can look inside the file and recognize that it is an executable by what it looks like, not only by how it's named. Yeah, very good point. And I don't think these days that you will lose any functionality at all by disallowing executables in email. Uh, if you would, we'd love to hear <laughs> tips at sophos.com if you think that's a wrong <laughs> conclusion. So in this case, an email will come in with an attachment containing a .doc or a Word document, Microsoft Word document, containing some VBA code, which is short for Visual Basic for Applications. And this is the type of code that makes seemingly difficult things um, easier to accomplish, you know, office automation type things, workflow streamlining. Now, this VBA code, what it's really doing is it's helping the crooks get that EXE in the door a lot easier than just simply ramming it through the email gateway. It certainly is, John. And the, if you're involved in computer security in the late 90s, you'll know that macro viruses were everywhere. And in fact, in those days, you would probably be okay letting executables through your email gateway, but actually letting documents through was really dangerous because a huge percentage of them, maybe even up to 25% at some times, of documents flying around had some malware inside. So we all got in the habit of ditching documents because we knew they could have this embedded code that could do bad stuff. Microsoft fixed that by changing some of the workflow, if you like, in Word, so macros can't run by default. And as a result, we've sort of lost our fear of uh, opening documents. And in fact, for many people, while they know they'll probably get in real trouble with IT if they open executables that came in an email, 
They'd probably get in more trouble if they didn't open documents if that's part of their job. For example, processing support requests or invoices or HR job applications and so forth. So the crooks have figured, well, if people are getting cautious about executable files, downloading them and running them themselves, why don't we send them a document? When they open the document, there's a macro inside, which isn't actually the final malware. It just goes out and downloads the executable we wanted, installs it without asking them, and runs it, and then carries on being a document like it was before. And that's sort of what the crooks are doing, that they're making this situation where the end result is that you download an executable, but you're not doing anything that would incur the immediate wrath of IT because opening documents is kind of supposed to be harmless. Yeah, and that's exactly where the new part of this old attack comes in. As you said, the the old part of containing the VBA code uh, is being used to sneak in an EXE, and the new part is basically using a social engineering attack in conjunction with this VBA code to get people to run that particular macro. Yes, it is worth saying, John, that by default... Uh, Word these days, because of all the macrovirus problems we had in the 1990s, will not run macros in a document by default. But of course, what the crooks do is in the document, it said, you know, to reveal the contents of this document, click the little button above this word. And above that's the, the button that says basically, in not in so many words, reduce security. A well-informed user shouldn't fall for this. But on the other hand, it's not quite as overt as now download this program and run it, which people have learned they shouldn't do. And we've actually seen examples of crooks even calling out the fact that if you click this button, you will actually make the document safer to uh, to open and, and inspect the content. So be careful of, of documents claiming that. Uh, basically, they're just trying to fool you at that point. But it's quite a good cover story, isn't it? It sounds sort of believable and a lot less dangerous than here is a program, run it for me or else. It sure does. And and the fact remains that, you know, for a lot of companies that do business internationally, a lot of the tells, if you will, of, um, you know, not opening documents that contain maybe misspellings or grammar that they're not used to, those kinds of things are just a part of doing business. When you've got a whole bunch of people on this planet speaking a whole bunch of different languages, they're not necessarily speaking yours on a regular basis. So, uh, you know, you kind of have to relax your guard a little bit. And so, you know, maybe some of these documents are more apt to, to, to slip into the stream of the normal documents that you process. Absolutely. If you think about it, all the crooks really need to say is invoice contained in attached document. Or a shipping notification. Yeah, as you say, if there's a, a misspelling or they haven't got the grammar quite right in a simple sentence like that, but it seems to be coming from overseas, it's pretty clear what the person meant. So another good trick that you can do if you have uh, an email gateway product that supports this is in the same way that you block files that are executables, uh, with some products, Sophos's, for example, you can actually block document files that contain macros. Generally speaking, if you do use macros inside your company, say for Excel spreadsheets or documents, for office automation or workflow improvement, as you mentioned earlier, almost certainly you only really want to use macros that are provided internally from a trusted source by IT. You don't want stuff that's coming in from outside because it could have come from anywhere and probably did. Of course, if you haven't patched Word, there could be some kind of exploit in that 
document could be booby-trapped, but you will at least protect yourself from this ever-increasing what's old is new again category of malware. And we're seeing some thousands of new VBA document malware samples a month. So on that excellent advice, I will conclude Sophos Security Checklist Chat number 216. But before I do that, I want to give just a quick shout out. I mentioned at the top of the podcast that Chester was on his way to the Virus Bolton International Conference, which this year is in its 25th year. This is a conference that uh, many of the, you know, our competitors, labs folks get together and talk and, you know, academics and all sorts of folks get together and talk about the anti-malware industry and the types of things that they've seen throughout the year. So hopefully while Chester is on the ground in Prague at uh, VB uh, this year, we'll be able to get a 216 and a half out of him uh, so that maybe our listeners can get a little bit of a hint as to, you know, what's going on and what people are talking about and seeing in the background of the anti-malware world uh, that basically supports all of the the good work that uh, our products do for our customers. So Chester, yes, he said he's taken his podcasting gear with him and that I should get hold of him on uh, Thursday or Friday. So hopefully we can find the time to record that short podcast. And uh, he'll also be able to give us some feedback on the numerous talks that Sophos researchers will be giving there, covering things like banking trojans, mobile malware, and how to do effective testing of antivirus products. So that will be interesting to find out uh, what he's learned. And that is good news. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can find more on iTunes, the TuneIn app at soundcloud.com slash security or wherever else you get your quality podcasts. For all of your security news, please hop on over to nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And until next time, stay secure.